Coming up this week on Amazing But True. We debate whether the Mets should bring back the black jerseys and roast a writer who always finds a way to get ratioed on Twitter. Jake and I are also excited to chat with a key piece in the Mets starting rotation and a Long Islander, Stephen Matz, joins the podcast. All that and a whole lot more next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true, orange and blue, so amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you. And now, here they are, Brooklyn Zone, number 27, the F-I-double-G-I-E, Nelson Figueroa. Astoria's finest, number 69, it's Jay Swizzy. Jake Brown! Yes, it is Amazing But True Podcast. Jake Brown and Nelson Figueroa. And shout out to the former Mets public address announcer, Colin Cosell, for those awesome intros that he did. Thank you so much, Colin. We loved him and obviously had some fun with with our names and introductions. But yes, this is Amazing But True, New York Mets podcast with the New York Post. Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy NY. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get podcasts. Write a nice review and rate us five stars if you're using Apple. Steven Matz is going to join us later in the show. And Figgy, it was great to talk to him. I think we learned a lot about Matz and he's always been quiet. He's always been a good pitcher he's a long islander but we never knew a ton about him and in this chat we get to know him a little bit but uh first off how are you doing i know you've had some family affected by covid19 which is still weird for me to say because it sounds like a new mission impossible movie with tom cruise but i know you've had some family dealing with it so uh give us an update on how they're doing yeah since we've started this podcast we've kind of been thrown into this whole covid19 or coronavirus and there was so many stigmas to it and you know what was going on and we kept saying you know thank goodness we don't know anybody who has it or thank goodness you know it's not anybody that we are is in our family you know we saw donovan mitchell right away we saw uh, some other celebrities get it like tom uh, tom hanks and it, it didn't hit home but for me it really did hit home and it hit home in a major way my brother and sister-in-law wound up testing positive and i spoke with them early on it was mid-march and my brother kind of put kind of his thoughts down in an email for me and i just wanted to take a chance to read that because i want to give people some hope i want to give people the idea that getting a positive test isn't a death sentence it isn't going into the hospital and not coming back out it's really just trying to recognize the symptoms that you have and getting seen and being able to get treatment from all these incredible people in the medical industry who are risking their lives to try and keep us safe, you know, day in and day out. So my brother wrote as such. On March 18th, it was a normal day for us. We went to work feeling fine. My wife came home early with a cough, thought it was her allergies, but then her body started to hurt. And so she laid down. I came home and worked out. I felt a chill when I was done and thought it was because the windows were open. I closed them, but 10 minutes later, I still had that chill. Told my wife something isn't right. I looked at my temperature. I took my temperature and it was 102. She was at 97. We called CityMD and let them know of our symptoms. They said to come in. We got there and five minutes later, my wife went from 97 at the house to 102 fever as well. They ran a strep and a regular flu test on both of us and they both came up negative. Then they proceeded to administer the COVID-19 test and told us just to quarantine to be safe. 
until the results. We have an eight-year-old son and a 21-year-old daughter who had no symptoms, so we had to stay in our bedroom other than to use the bathroom for the next 14 days. Anytime we left the room, we stood six feet from them and wore masks. We only have one bathroom, so that meant each time that we went to the bathroom, everything had to be wiped down and cleaned with bleach to sanitize everything and try and prevent the spread. For the next two days, we both had body aches, fevers, chills, sinus pressure, headaches, loss of smell and taste happened as well. My wife had a cough and chest tightness. Finally, one night we had no more fever, but I was dripping in sweat as if I had worked out. The next couple of days, my wife had a slight cough, chest tightness, headaches, and sinus pressure. I just had the latter two. By day five, we received our results. We were confirmed positive for the virus. My wife started to cry. It was tears from the unknown, the guilt. If she had spread it to others, the fears that we would pass it on to our kids. By day seven, we showed no symptoms. We still stood away from our kids. We would eat our meals in the bedroom. We would open our door to watch our son play in his room from across the hall. And he would write us stories to entertain us. I must say we we're fortunate when it came to the virus. The hardest part was not being able to hug our kids or just kiss our son goodnight, to not being able to tell our kids everything will be okay. Today is day 18 and we are now out of our room, able to eat dinner with our kids. Hugs have been limited, but we both are feeling fine. We don't know if this virus is gone or how long it can last in our system. We've heard different stories that after 18, after 14 days, it's gone. And then others can say it can last up to six weeks. Depends what you read and where you hear it from. We like to get retested, but are told that the tests are limited right now. And so being retested is not an option. This virus is real and takes a toll on you physically and mentally. But again, we are the fortunate ones. So that was from my brother, Nicholas. It's just so hard to imagine um, not being able to be that close to your loved ones. I haven't seen my brother. I haven't been able to go help my brother. I haven't been able to go and do the things that you would normally do if he was just sick or if he was in a car accident or if he needed me. It's been so hard to just sit back and watch all this happen. But thank goodness we have Zoom or Hangouts, a house party, anything that you can to kind of keep people in a proper frame of mind. Mentally, it's the toughest thing when you feel so isolated. Let your loved ones know that you love them. The internet is not a doctor. The internet doesn't know. And, and every symptom that you read, all of a sudden you start having. Please, I implore everyone, wash your hands, stay inside as much as possible. Use a mask and gloves whenever you are outside. And remember to check up on your loved ones, uh, especially the older ones, um, to make sure that they're okay because they'll think, hey, I, I just have a cold. I'm I'm going to get through this. And those are the ones that we have to really watch out for. So I, I want to thank my brother for his bravery and coming forward with this. And I hope that others can learn from it and realize that the internet is not the answer for your, what ails you. Go see a doctor, make a doctor's appointment, get tested if you can get tested and quarantine, quarantine as much as possible to prevent the spread. We've got to find a way to keep this thing from continuing to grow. That got me emotional. I mean, everything now is getting me emotional. I mean, even watching High School Musical 1, 2, and 3 got me emotional. Um, but <laughs> that, that was that was very well done. And listen, it's hitting home to everyone now. My mom called me sobbing. She's so worried that I'm in New York and you know the, the height of where coronavirus is right now is obviously New York and New York City and so it is serious and it's hitting home to everyone I mean it's to a point where every person has someone they know or someone affected to it I just found out uh, over the weekend one of our best friends one of our best friends family mem members the dad is still in the hospital he's on a ventilator the mom is a shout out to the Hoffmans you know that we've been friends with them since we came out the womb and um, you know the dad is in the hospital right now and is in serious condition and it is really scary stuff that we're talking about and Anthony Causey too I mean the photographer with the New York Post it, word is he's doing better Great I know dude, you man. 
you've met him and if you want to talk about him but you know he's in our thoughts and prayers I know he's starting to get better so Anthony Causey you know one one of our own here at the New York Post also affected yeah he was one of the ones that I first where it was like okay I know this guy as well um I saw his sister I went to junior high school with his sister and when I first met Anthony he was taking pictures of me when I first got to the Mets um about the 9-11 t-shirts that I had made and he introduced himself and he's like you know my sister and I was like "Uh uh-oh and he goes my sister Maria I said oh Maria Causey of course I know your sister I was like uh she was one of my one of my cousin's best friends anyway um Anthony is a tremendous person he's he lights up a room he makes everybody smile he does tremendous work with the New York Post uh taking pictures you see him courtside at every basketball game and to hear that he was fighting for his life and got put on uh, a ventilator um was the scariest thing because this is a guy who literally had offered to do my daughter's sweet 16 photos in January. And here he is now fighting for his life. He has a beautiful family of his own, two young kids and, and his wife. And I, I just, my heart goes out to him and his family and prayers for Anthony Causey, uh, such a, a terrific guy. And this is one of the first people I think that uh, was recognizable for a lot of people from Brooklyn who knew him that was fighting for his life with this disease. Yeah, Sherry Golub tweeted uh, on the 4th, a couple days ago, our friend Anthony Causey continues to fight his way through. He's stable and getting stronger every day. It's a long road ahead, but his vitals and levels are good cause he's strong so uh, i'm glad to hear that uh it's hard to transition from that but we got to raise people's spirits a little bit during this time and listen you talk about the testing too can we stop with testing tigers there are humans who aren't getting tested and there are tigers that literally essentially killed carol baskett's husband who are (laughs) who are getting tested and it is mind-blowing to me that a bronx zoo tiger tested positive how would he get administered a test you just talked about the trouble it is for your family member getting tested. How is this happening? Listen, I I, I don't even know what you meant by your tiger killing reference because I don't watch the show. All gotta, I know is that if the trainer was asymptomatic and apparently he must have gotten tested and so what they just decided to test the tiger if the tiger was asymptomatic and the tiger wasn't sick how'd the tiger get a test i don't I, i'm baffled by it also baffled by that now all of a sudden if this thing is transmittable to animals uh felines of that such that that makes the things a little bit different as well but i can't even imagine who had the audacity to give a tiger a test with that cotton swab that you know six foot long cotton swab going up the nose that i don't think that's the gig i want it's it's infuriating, but I do recommend that you watch Tiger King. They added a new episode, I think, this week that I have to watch but uh, to keep yourself entertained. But during this time, as we transition here, not to keep us entertained, is watching simulated video games of these baseball games going on. I know SNY tweeted, and they, the opening day, they made a big deal. They're like, watch now as the Mets and Nationals play in simulated video game form. I'm bored, and I tweeted this. I'm bored. But I'm not level of watching someone play a video game board. And I understand eSports and Twitch and all these things and people do watch this. But I don't want to watch a simulation of like an April 6th like Mets like Braves game and see what happens. I want to watch the real stuff. So listen, I'm craving baseball, but not to the point where I'll go to that level. What about you? Listen, esports are huge, right? And, and it's a huge market. Kids are getting paid way more than us just to play video games. And so... For most people, it's something to pass the time. It's a way to say, you know, uh, those simulations are very well done. MLB The Show is a very well done game. And uh, you just kind of marvel at you're watching a video game at times because the graphics are so good. You see the same mechanics by the pitcher. You see the same kind of gear that they wear, the, the same stance, the same swing. So it, it's it's not the ideal. But at the same time, I don't think I just 
you know, I'm not too, I'm not exactly tuning in. I'm not like, oh my God, it's almost seven o'clock. I got to get ready for the game tonight. No, no, not by any means, but I'll tune in and then like, I get the updates on, on Twitter and I'll like tune in just to watch or fast forward just to see some of the, the video game playing elements. That, that to me is kind of fun, but uh, I don't think Loser. I'm, I'm not checking, I'm not checking the standings <laughs> by any means today to see how the, the Mets have the been The video doing. game Mets are four, four and one in first place in the NL East. <laughs> I mean, give me a freaking break. It's, it's unbelievable. It's one of the things that SNY tweets. Another thing that they tweet is is this absolute clown show that is Andy Martino. And I hate to make him cry, but it seems like he likes to be hated. And this is his thing. This is his shtick. You, you, you worked with him. Does he love being hated by Mets fans and Mets Twitter? Listen, uh, there's no such thing as as bad advertising, right? It's it's If it's a good commercial, you remember the jingle. If it's a bad commercial, you're like, oh my God, I remember that Liberty Mutual commercial that was so bad. It's still worked it still worked i think andy martino takes that a little bit to the next level when it comes to social media he loves to go out there and poke the bear literally poke the bear and he did it this time by poking pete alonzo his ire a little bit when we talked about the the black jerseys um so that's something that martino is as really learn to do at a very high level. And it takes a very different kind of person to be able to take all that venom that comes his way. I, I think I, he sits there and smiles as it comes in and he'll reply to a few and he'll you know interact with it. But it's just amazing. The uh, Most people wanna be liked or loved even. Andy Martino really doesn't care about that. Andy Martino really just cares about, I guess, you clicking and retweeting. I'm just picturing like the, he's like the walking gif for the Jack Nicholson nodding his head gif when these these people come in with these tweets and I'm just picturing him, him there in his oversized t-shirt and whatever baseball hat that he's wearing in, in his room just seeing these come in and be like yes hate me hate me haters gonna hate and it's it's hard to I mean I don't know him personally so I can't say it's hard to like him personally but it is hard to like him uh, what he does because this his latest take and listen I want to make like a t-shirt with the most ratioed Andy Martino tweets of all time and make sure you tweet do this as the clown music plays in the background the circus Tweet us dumb Andy Martino t- tweets and takes over the years, especially the ones where he was insanely ratioed. I really want to see, because I try to Google it, and I, I it wasn't on like Mets Red or anything. So if you're listening to this now, make sure you tweet me at Jake Brown Radio and tweet Figgy NY, the, the most ratioed Andy Martino tweets, because his latest one, and obviously it's slow season, it's clickbait season is that black jerseys are trash. And you're a guy who wore black jerseys in a Mets uniform. And to me, they bring back the memories of like that 99, 2000, 2001 team where I love them. And I do think they are aesthetically pleasing. He tweeted, can confirm the Mets uh, black jerseys are aesthetically unpleasing. And you made our little poll this week was, you know, let's settle this. Black Mets jerseys are either fire emojis, poop emojis, or who cares? And 66.1% voted fire. 18.9 said poop. 15 said uh, they don't care. And that's over 2,000 votes, so we got a, a pretty good opinion on this, and I think me and you agree these are fire, and Andy Martino responded with, I voted poop emojis to your tweet. So he sees the poll, and he disagrees with uh, what the poll is saying, but I love black jerseys, and I know you do too. Hey, Martino is like a salmon swimming upstream. He saw all of the uh, the, the poll coming in and, and the fact that we had over 2,000 people that were voting very strongly uh, in a landslide, if you will. Uh, these are the best numbers we've had by far. These numbers were fantastic. 
the best numbers ever in our polls, um, that the black jerseys are indeed fire. Um, first off, you have to explain to people because not everybody knows what ratioed means. So, so ratioed means when you have more a lot more replies than likes and retweets. He has about, you know, 69,000 more replies than he does retweets usually on his tweets. But it's always about, you know, a, if when you see like replies, like 151 retweets, one likes like four, that's like ratio. <laughs> okay. Just so, uh, Hey, we got to let the people at home know, not everybody knows that. So this way they can help us uh, continue our Martino uh, rant next week. But the black jerseys, Love them. Absolutely love them. People, I've seen some of the most craziest complaints. I've seen, you know, you hear garbage, uh, they're trash or this. But one of the complaints was, it's too hot to wear a black jersey. First off, modern technology and modern materials, it is the lightest jersey that we used to wear. The lightest. It was made from Cool Max materials. It, it had breathability. There are times that what you buy in the store is a solid, solid piece of material of a jersey. For us, it would kind of be almost like a mesh kind of material. And we just had, you know, T-shirts underneath it or it had a lining underneath it that was like a, the Cool Max where it whisks, whisked away, whisked away <laughs> um, moisture and everything else. But the outside of it would kind of be a mesh. It was the lightest. It looked cool. It felt great. And for me as a starting pitcher, the starting pitcher in some organizations, the starting pitcher got to pick the jersey of the day that they started. And so, you know, I'm pitching alongside of Santana, who if we're playing at home, he wants to do the all white. We knew that already. You know, we had the pinstripes, which was a very popular one that a lot of the pitchers like to use. But for me, I was like, I want to be the oddball. I want to be the guy who, this is my uniform. This is my day to pitch. This is my uniform. So I love to be able to choose the black jersey every chance I got. So if I got an opportunity and, and, and Charlie Samuels was the clubby at the time, if he said, hey, Figgy, what are we wearing tomorrow? Man, I said the black jersey right away because everyone would know okay it's figgy's turn to pitch this is what we're wearing yeah i mean the black jersey is is great and, and the argument is it's not a mets color listen you know how many teams wear jerseys that aren't like their team colors you know how many hats are made that aren't uh the team's colors like so i don't think that's important at all so i'm glad they won and i'm glad he got ratioed the joke i know at sny you told me was he has a basement setup at his house he has his own basement setup we aren't sure yet if it's his mom's basement <laughs> it's not been confirmed nor denied as of yet but i, I they do think that when we talk about the black jerseys and Martino, I think a, a huge consensus would be to have it at least as a Friday night uniform. Uh, that's that what Alonzo really cool. tweeted. Alonzo loves that Friday night blacks idea. And I think that's great because you want to talk about it being hot. I'm not a, you know, I'm not Al Roker, but usually nighttime is not as warm as daytime. So I would figure that Friday night blacks makes the most sense. Yeah. And you know, with Pete Alonzo, nobody on this team has the pulse of New York right now than more so than Pete Alonzo. So I, I think uh, it's a very good idea. And I think uh, he has a, he has an ability to speak to uh, management in a way. And especially if uh, enough fans retweet that, that and they see that the fans will do it because the fans will then buy it and so i think management would consider it highly and i won't go through because i didn't i went through but i didn't go deep enough i didn't care that much about andy martina tweets but one of the kings of the ones where he just got ripped a new one was february 8th where he tweeted and carlos delgado quote tweeted this he said astros code breaker stuff this is almost exactly what carlos delgado once did with his notebook just in Excel form. They'll got to use a pen to record pitch sequences, signs, and other info. Of course, he didn't write dark arts on the cover like he was taking a class at Hogwarts. And my <laughs> God, did Andy Martino get dragged through the mud for this one and 
deservedly so. Carlos Delgado quotes it. And remember, Carlos Delgado, key part of the 2006 Mets, uh, a beloved Met power hitter, was Blue Jay. Great player. How in the world do you go from keeping track of personal at-bats to quote-unquote code-breaking? And then the uh, confused kind of emoji. Seriously, what one thing has to do with another question mark? And he said, hashtag reaching. So, you know, that one was the ultimate, you know, ratioed and just did not make sense kind of Martino special. That's the one where it's he gives enough information. It's, it's bait. It gives enough information to hook you on and then you're in. It's a true statement in that, yes, Delgado did have his own notebook and he would write down my last at bat versus this guy and he kept it on every single pitcher. And, you know, if it was a 2-1 count, he went off speed. He would write down off speed and what it was. If it was a runner on base, he'd write. Delgado was putting down all that information for himself and he wasn't using a camera in center field to do it. There's a big difference in that. Someone being so, so I guess, prepared and 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 savvy, uh, it's a veteran move that they would have these notebooks and be able to keep all this information so that, hey, who are we facing today? Boom. He could thumb through his notes and be like, okay, I know what he gave me last time. And then all of a sudden he's sitting on a 2-1 changeup with runners in scoring position and he hits a three-run bomb. Boom. That's where the game has changed is because now that's all being done by a guy sitting behind a computer and putting up these notes and you get percentages already put out and they're on that iPad that sits in the dugout and all the other things. But when you talk about, you know, just trying to ride that wave of, oh, more ways that hit, uh, baseball players have cheated. That's what I think Delgado took offense to it. It wasn't cheating. It was more so kind of being a student of the game and and writing down his own at bats and not looking for an unfair advantage. There was no unfair advantage in him taking notes on his own at bats. And sources tell me that tweet did come from Andy Martino's mom's basement and uh, <laughs> and he, he, he had the uh, the famous John Clayton commercial where he says, Mom, I finished my segment! And he's got his uh, his uh, lo mein or, or fried rice, whatever he was eating after that. He's got the wig on his head. But anyways, I think that's enough of us, Figgy. I think people are, came here for this show for one reason. Outside of hearing our just, just lovely voices during this troubling time, they want to hear Stephen Matz, the Mets southpaw, the Mets lefty, the Stony Brook native, the Long Islander himself, joins us next right here on Amazing But True from the New York Post. All right, special guest this week joining us now. There are no games going on, so he's hanging out, trying to stay fresh. If there are games, he's the only lefty and a big staple of the Mets starting rotation. Everyone knows him well from Stony Brook, from Long Island. It is Stephen Matz joining us on Amazing But True. Stephen, how you doing, man? Uh, how's this quarantine treating you? I'm doing good. You know, it's um, definitely a strange time. Um, it's weird to say, but the you know the weather's been. I've never experienced the weather in Nashville in the springtime, and the weather's been really nice. Just a strange time to be home where you're used to playing. And you're not in New York, but you are doing some great stuff with your True Thirty Two program. You've donated thirty two thousand uh, dollars to first responders, and tell us about that. I know you could go to supportelmhurst.org/slash/donate to make your contribution, but tell us about what you've been doing here. Yeah, I mean, this is really the reason why we have this foundation um, is just to, uh, in times when there's tragedy and just, you know, be there to use the platform and the resources that we, you know, have been given to just, you know, help others. Um, unfortunately, tragedy does strike and crazy times like this, you know, do happen. So just to 
really have the resources and the and the platform to do it and you know also just do it you know inspires others to join up and and help out where where the needs are so that's why we do it yeah i've been watching you from you know the humble beginnings as you were coming up and to see where you guys have grown as men and taking uh onus of the platform that has been given to you as a new york met and even if you're in nashville you're still doing tremendous things here in the new york area um also pete alonzo again he's kind of been adopted by this city and said, hey, you know, this is the guy that he, he puts his money where his mouth is and does so many wonderful things around there. And we can't thank you enough because it's very inspiring uh, to the rest of us that even if you're not here and, and you wind up living elsewhere, you're always going to be a New Yorker and that's in your heart. So I wanted to thank you first and foremost for that. One of the things that we talk about, of course, is when you came up, there were so many high expectations, right? You had that great first start in the doubleheader versus the Reds, three for four and an R- four RBIs. That was the bar that you set how difficult was it to ever try and match that again well three for three so it's really hard to match uh, that but <laughs> no i mean it, it is you know obviously playing in new york you know is tough and sustaining consistency is is really you know the hardest part of the big leagues because as guys get to learn you you know two thirds or two surgeries later you know you battle a lot of and different stuff like that and so you, you know you also learn yourself as guys are starting to learn you you learn the league and so you know i think that's that was the toughest part is just that consistency finding that consistency and especially if a lead started to figure you out and learn you and as a lot more video comes out on you and you know different stuff like that and so you know that that was the hardest part is just kind of figuring that out and and i feel like I'm starting to learn that more and more where, you know, I don't think my stuff has necessarily gotten any worse, but I'm starting to, you know, learn the league a little bit better and just figure out more efficient way instead of just, you know, going out there and guys don't know who I am and just kind of, this is what I got, you know, now they're starting to figure out what I have. So I think kind of learning the opposite end of that is, is a big part of it. I remember that first game because I think it was the second game of a double header because I remember I had a bad seat and then someone left the first game and they handed us seats like right behind home plate uh, in the cushioned seats and I just remember that game and I was like wow this guy could hit he could pitch he could do it all so people <laughs> people learned early on that you were this Long Islanders New Yorker but I feel like you're a quiet leader a lot of people don't know you and a friend of mine went to high school with you I mean we all know about the Seaport Deli sandwich of course if you haven't had Seaport Deli it is a staple of uh, Suffolk County and Stony Brook and now you were a fan of the boon which is one i would get i went to hofstra so when you know we'd had our friends deliver me a boon i think they have changed the mats because the steven mats now is chicken cutlet melted jack and cheddar cheese bacon lettuce tomato pepper house dressing but you have been uh, i don't know is that the one you're still a fan of or is are you still more of a fan of the boon i'm, I'm a boon guy you know they they already had so much on their menu that they didn't necessarily consult me with the creation of the sandwich and so <laughs> when they first made it, they were like, hey, try this. We just made the sandwich and named it after you. I was like, nice. Right, I'm going to stick with the boon, though. I like your sandwich better than the De- The DeGrom is chicken cutlet roast beef, which already throws me off. That combo just doesn't work for me. Uh, oh, yeah. You're done for the rest of the day on that one. <laughs> You're not pitching that day eating a Jacob DeGrom uh, sandwich. Uh, I guarantee <laughs> no. that. He would not be the Cy Young guy if he was eating those. But also I learned that apparently when you were in high school, you had a boy and a girl dog, and their actual names were boy and girl. Is that true yeah <laughs> um so their, their names were shelby and bentley but actually we just called them boy and girl so then everybody knew them as boy and girl 
<laughs> Steven, from that from that first start, you were pretty popular, but I tell you what, Grandpa created a life of his own there. He had gifts on the internet. People were following him almost as much as they were following you. How's he doing? You know, he's doing good. He's he's down in Florida right now. Hopefully, uh, you know, he kind of stays away from all the mess. But, you know, the cool thing about that whole story was, you know, I don't think many people know is, you know, so my grandma passed away when, when I was 13, his wife, and she was like the biggest Mets fan of like all time. She used to work at a deli and she would collect the little boxes, things or whatever, and sit in the nosebleeds and bring my family in. And so I think for him, which was like caused so much emotion, like it just like became a reality, like my grandson is on the Mets and like just probably thinking what our grandma would be doing sitting next thing, you know. So I think that was like really cool for him to even get that kind of fame from that, you know, that, that kind of backstory was pretty sweet. There's another gift, Stephen, out there of you and I don't know if you once played for the Globe Trotters or what it is, but you were spinning everything from a pot to a piece of a couch. Uh, is this like one of your hidden talents that we don't know about? Uh, you know, I just it was when I was in the minor leagues and we just were like, I can spin a pillow and they're like, Oh, you can spin this and I'm like, Yeah, I can spin that and then all of a sudden they're like, All right, <laughs> there was some weird app or something that my friend had and just somehow it went viral. I don't know. Steven, one of the things that I've watched with you and and as you said, you kind of constantly have to make adjustments, right? You're always looking to try and get better and better. And that's, you know, comes with all the work that you put in between starts. And after you got over kind of the, the elbow woes and you were able to work more between starts, you moved on the rubber from the third base side, even your last start in spring training. Remember, I went down there and I went down there as my own cameraman. I didn't have anybody at SMY at the time. And I was filming your bullpen as you were warming up. And Jake gave me hell about it in the clubhouse afterwards because I was sitting there filming. I'm like, what is he doing? I want to see what he's working on. And you were on the third base side of the rubber. Then you have your first start in Miami and you're on the first base side of the rubber all of a sudden. Why did you make the move? And it was a great game, but why did you make the move so suddenly after not doing it at all in spring training? So I, I was on the third base side. I always pitched on the first on the third base side my whole career and some of the analytic guys were looking at it and saying like that my stuff could possibly play from third base side and so or excuse me, from the first base side of like, you know, instead of missing my sinker out over the plate, it would kind of naturally push me to missing either, you know, on the outer edge to off. And so that was an adjustment and I tried it and towards the end of spring training and you know, it was once it was one of those deals where you're like, Oh, that felt good, I'm gonna do this and then I started doing that and then I felt like I started getting into some bad habits of starting to get a little Nelson, you may understand, a little swingy with my, my delivery instead of, you know, kinda of having a good direction. And so um, that's when about halfway through the year is in Philly, I was in the game. I'm like, I just hate the way that I'm feeling right now. And so I started creeping back towards the middle of the mound. And then by the, you know, next start, I creeped a little further in my bullpen and I'm like, I just feel comfortable over here. And so that's just kind of part of the adjustment process of what happens throughout a season. So the other thing going along with that is the kind of the routine that you had between pitches where you, you know, caught the ball tuck the glove, touch the hat, kind of to get yourself focused on that next pitch because you're always focusing on that next pitch, not what happened the pitch before that. Was that something that was forced for you to get ingrained or at any point did that become natural for you? Um, you know, that was something that um, Mickey was big on. And I think it helped a lot because it's something where no matter what happens around you, I can, can you can start controlling the in-between pitch routine. And so in other words, like this is something that is like almost like ingrained, like, 
okay, I'm resetting. This is what I could control. I can fix my hat. I can stand behind the mound, touch my glove, step back on the mound, and here we go. It's focused on this pitch instead of like, you know, everything. Okay, I give up a double off the wall, and then, you know, I walk a guy, and then all of a sudden, speeding up it kind of just like this is something i can i can control i can keep this routine and it kind of sets you up for your next all your focus beyond that next thing so it was pretty it was a pretty cool um thing that mickey you know brought in and i think it really did help me uh just kind of resetting is it normal for you now or do you still have to think about it it depends you know sometimes if i feel it getting away and it starts speeding up and i want to start just squeezing the bone really tight i'm just like all right let's just reset here step back, fix the hat, get back on the mound. And so, yeah, sometimes it's non-conscious and other times it has to be a conscious decision to do it. There we go. Steven Matt's joining us on Amazing But True Podcast. Follow him on Twitter at smats 88 You're not a big Instagram guy and you're missing some great Instagram live uh, rap battles or DJ battles. You know, Lil John and T-Pain going at it and a lot of cool coronavirus things that are keeping you uh, entertained during a really tough time right now, Steven, where you don't know when baseball's coming. You know, people are talking about July 1st maybe and doing it in spring training. Stadium What's your thoughts on a shortened season? Are you cool with playing it with no fans in a spring training stadium? How do you feel about all this? Man, I, I don't even know. I, I don't even really have an opinion on any of it. It's it's really tough. I just want to. I think I think everybody's in agreement as let's just play as many games as possible. It's just kind of hard to even have an opinion because you just don't know. It's all unknown, you know. So I don't know. You know, let's just right now. First and foremost, you know, our mindset's like, I just want to play again. What are we? You know, then you realize, like, man, people are really being negatively affected by this and their health and their loved ones. So it's like, all right, let's take a step back for a second and let you know, let this thing pass, and then readdress that our really wants versus you know some people who seriously need. So that's just kind of my mindset right now: stay in shape, keep throwing, do what I can, and just that's it. How are you doing that? Because, you know, Strowman's got this cool setup where he's, like, off the water. He's got a pitching mound on a dock. Uh, I worry about the catcher if he throws something wild and they may fall in the water. But uh, what's the Steven Matt setup? How are you keeping your arm fresh over there in Nashville? Yeah, uh, i got Brad Brock down here with me, and so we meet in the field. Just uh, We've been playing catch and stuff. And my friend, uh, my good friend, he's spent several years in the Special Forces with the Army. He's got a gym in his garage. I've just been going over there and working out. Honestly, I've been able to get everything I need. So uh, from that standpoint, it's been it's been good, and the weather's been really really compliant as well. Hey, Noah goes down with you know needing Tommy John. Do you feel more pressure to step up this year? I don't think that made any more pressure. Pressure myself uh, either way, and I was excited for this season personally. Um, and also as a group, I think losing Noah is a big hit, but also I think you know that was yeah we we have the depth to to have what it takes to you know even without a a piece like Noah who's really not really replaceable and I think we still have the pieces to to do what we need to do you know it's it's win a lot of games so um, I don't feel any more pressure from that I think and my mindset was I was going to go out and have a good year and you know use what I learned for the past few years and stuff so I don't feel any more more pressured uh, in short. Yeah, and you could speak very well to having Tommy John surgery and missing some time. You were out for two years. What was the some of the biggest lessons you learned while being out that time early in your career? Yeah, it was it was a really difficult situation because I had not even thrown a professional pitch at that point, so I had known nothing else. And for me, I had no idea what any kind of routine, what any kind of arm care, anything looks like. And so for that time, I had really learned that a lot, and I learned what is important for my arm and what I shouldn't be doing. And so for me, you know, maybe that's something 
at Noah, but you know, Noah Noah's a really hard worker and cares a lot about that type of stuff. So I think with the little amount that I knew that I had to learn, I think Noah only knows and I think he's going to have a quick recovery and he's going to be as stronger as he ever was coming out of this thing. Knowing that guy, he's already he's already ready this week if you know Noah how hard he works. So that, that'll be interesting to see yeah. how long it takes. Did those injuries, Stephen, have an effect on you after that? I know your first, you know, first year you had six starts, but the next two years you were banged up a little bit. And then the last two, you had 30 starts each year. Did, did those have an impact on your first couple of years in the big leagues, the surgery and the, just the delay and, you know, the time being thrown off? I think they did. Uh, I, I think I battled a little bit of I had the bone spur surgery and then I had my nerve moved and was just kind of figuring out what these nagging little injuries were. And so, yeah, they definitely negatively impacted me a little bit as far as, but like I, like I said back, even when I had my nerve vagina, you just learn a lot through the different adversity. And, and I think it just makes you, you know, better, a better player and just a better overall person in the end when you, when you go through stuff like that instead of just kind of steamrolling the system which is just rare in baseball yeah being the only lefty uh for the Mets up until Jason Vargas uh came around you were that guy that was the not flamethrowing right-hander that the Mets had for years then they last year you had to make a move to the bullpen just for a little bit but what was that like and what did you learn from that experience you know I honestly enjoyed it I enjoyed being out there with the guys during the game it was a different look you know something that I've never done I just kind of saw how those guys prepare and what they do and stuff and it was a different mindset coming into the game where it's like you're coming in I think my first game I might have faced DD with the base loaded and so it's like all right you got to get out of this give them your best stuff and so I think that mindset actually helped me a little bit going forward with the half was from the first inning on let's not give these guys any chances let's just go right after them and you know, finding that balance also of not showing everything, but also not babying anything, but just going right after them and stuff. So I think that helped me. And that's something I learned. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir when it comes to being a starter and then having to go to the bullpen and then come back out and be a starter again. But the mindsets are so different in that you take a little bit from each one. You want that aggressiveness of when you're a reliever, but you want to be able to have that stamina and that ability to save something for later when you're a starter. So that was a great, I felt, lesson for you to learn at a time that was kind of pivotal for you to continue your growth process. However, I know this for myself. Were you at least a little pissed off about it? (laughs) Um, you know what? Come on. <laughs> no, because the way the situation worked out, I actually I was working with Ocardo and Phil Regan at the time, and I was um I think it, maybe it was still there. Ocardo, yeah, yeah, they were there. And so I was uh I pitched, I started against Atlanta, and I got rained out in the second inning. And I feel like at this point I was like, man, I was really starting to feel make some strides. And I got rained out, and then I think we had an off day, and it was like going to be extended period of time. So me and Jeremy were talking and we're like, hey, you know, we got extra day. We want to get, they, you know, we can face all righties against Philly and you can just get out there as much as possible before the all And so me and Jeremy, were kind of, we kind of brought that up to Mickey and he's like, you know, that's a great idea. And so I knew it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. And it was almost like, hey, I'm feeling really good. We got some time. We know that they're going to want to throw, you know, the flamethrowing righties against that Philly lineup. And so they're like, let's just get you out there as many times as we can before the All-Star break to just kind of get you feeling the ball consistently. 
So that's honestly, it wasn't like, hey, we're putting you in the bullpen indefinitely. You know, there's more communication than that. Oh, then that's a good thing. I, you, that's something you always want as a player is to have that communication and know exactly what their thought process is and not just be moved around. You said the name Phil Regan. And if Phil Regan tells you to do something or try something, I don't care about any analytics. You do it and you try it. Isn't that true? That is true. Phil, Phil is a man of wisdom. He's just, he's just awesome. I really love Phil and, you know, he's, He's a guy that just had a big impact on my career in the minor leagues and the big leagues as well. So he's awesome. Speaking of pissed off, were you a little pissed off when they let him go? I mean, when, as a fan, the first thought was, what are they doing? This guy should be at bingo. He's 85 years old. And then I think we fell in love with this dude once you learn about him and, and you see the passion that he has for the game. Uh, were you a little surprised or disappointed that um, he's no longer the pitching coach? Well, I, when I heard that Jeremy Huffman was coming in, I was excited. And, you know, I knew Phil was still going to be around, around and stuff. You know, I, I, I enjoyed Phil, but it, it, you kind of hate to see your say you're really disappointed when you also really like Jeremy Hefner who's coming in so you know I think ultimately Phil <laughs> Phil was coaching winter ball and everything and he understands that his age and stuff too so I love Phil though but I also love Hefner so tough question well you got a new manager this year in Luis Rojas uh, what are your impressions of him thus far I love him he's, he's awesome he's um, he's just a baseball guy and he really cares and he loves it and you know he it's cool to see someone who's paid their dues you know come up and get a chance and I think he's going to do great. And I've had some experience with him in the past. I'm just excited about him. I'm excited that he gets the opportunity. Um, you know, he's a young guy. He's got you know, great baseball knowledge. He's good friend with him, too. So I just, I like him. I have nothing but great things to say about him. I was excited when I heard he got the job as well. I put on earlier my black Carlos Beltran jersey, which doesn't have much use now, but we were talking about black jerseys this show and kind of roasting Andy Martino, which is a little bit too easy to do these days. Uh, the king of getting <laughs> ratioed on Twitter is Andy Martino. Um, but he <laughs> he hates black jerseys, Stephen, and he, he uh -huh. says they're trash. He says they look terrible. Meanwhile, Pete Alonso says, you know, make it black jersey Friday. Are you team black Mets jersey? <laughs> I can't have an opinion because I'm the least swaggy guy there is. So I just don't even know. <laughs> I'll put on whatever they give me. <laughs> all right. All right. A quick rapid fire before we let you go, Stephen, because I think Mets fans want to know more about you outside of Long Island, Grandpa, and everything. So let's start off with uh, just whatever comes to you when I ask it. Favorite Long Island pizza spot? Uh, Little Vincent. And favorite New York City restaurant? Uh, the Frontes Tavern. He came prepared with these answers. Damn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite uh, city to play in, favorite baseball city? Oh, man. I like Atlanta because I normally, if we have an off day, I, I can go home to Nashville. <laughs> favorite artist? Who, do you, who are you listening to in the quarantine right now? I like Zach Williams, Christian artist. Or my wife, Kane. She just released an album. Can't, can't let that one pass. Yeah, you had to let that out. I mean, she wouldn't let you uh, go through this interview without bringing that up. Um, <laughs> and what are you watching? What's what's the quarantine Netflix? Are you are you Tiger King? There's a new episode now of Tiger King. Uh, wh what are you watching these days? The best show I've watched is a show called The Chosen. It's an app. It's not even on Netflix, but it's awesome. Highly recommend it. Wait, what is The Chosen? I've never heard of this. What is that? It's about the life of Jesus, but it's not, it's just about, it's not about his death. It's actually about like the relationships he's had. It's really cool. And they did a great job on it. Check it out. Stephen Matt's deep and philosophical over here. Um, <laughs> we appreciate you coming to the show, man. And you know, the $32,000 is incredible. And I know 12,000 has gone to Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, 10,000 FDNY Foundation Emergency Fund Awareness, and 10,000 to the New York Police Foundation Kids COVID Awareness Program. Uh, so I think everyone thanks you for what you're doing in your community. Let's hope we could talk to you in New York later this season. And, you know, if there's baseball in Arizona and Florida, we'll take it. Because I'll tell you this, I'm sick and tired of seeing vi simulated video games.
games on SNY's Twitter. I am not going to watch a video game. I'm sorry. <laughs> I agree. All right, man. Appreciate you coming on. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Take care. Be good, brother. Stay safe. Bye. And that's a wrap for episode five of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake, for producing the show. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're using Apple, please rate us five stars and write a nice review. For my co-host, Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. Stay safe, everyone. Stay inside, and we'll talk to you all next Monday.